Welcome to the Vine Life Podcast. We're a church in Manchester who love Jesus, each other and our city. Catch up on this week's message and more. Thank you, Lucy. So yeah, I have been here nearly 20 years, although today it's an anniversary of a different sort. It's my wedding anniversary today. 13 years. Done pretty well so far. Yeah, I think we're keeping going, yeah, it's good. Um, so, that wasn't in lieu of a card. I did get a card this morning, just so you know. That wasn't like a last minute shout out because I forgot. Um, but like Lucy said, my name's John. Um, I'm on team here. Um, and I'm excited to be sharing with you this morning. Um, we are, um, over the summer, we're going to be taking the next kind of five Sundays, we're going to be looking at the book of One John. Um, and two of the key themes of One John are love and light, or light and love, or love and light. I keep, they both begin with L. We'll get it the wrong way around almost every time we say it. Um, love and light. Um, and so, 1 John, it's a letter in the Bible. You'll find it in the New Testament, pretty close to the end. Um, interesting thing about 1 John is that it's written from a community to a community. Um, you know, it... In terms of who wrote it, well, it's got the name John at the top, um, so there's a bit of a clue there. It doesn't actually say in the letter who it's from, and neither did 2 John and 3 John, the kind of this little collection of letters that go together. Um, but it shares so much common language and so many kind of key themes and ideas as the Gospel of John that most people... Most scholars, most experts, when they come to look at these letters, they think, yeah, these were written either by the same people or like the same group of people. Um, we're not quite sure if that was definitely the Apostle John or another guy who led churches in the first century called John the Elder, or if it's from kind of his network of churches together. Um, you might, if you read scholarly articles and books and stuff, you hear that called a Johannine school or network of churches. It's almost definitely a different author to um, John from Revelation. And it's most likely written towards the end of the first century, so about 50 to 60 years after the death and resurrection of Jesus. And it's probably a circular letter to a bunch of different churches. So kind of like how across the world, as different churches, we have the same scriptures. This letter made its way around to different churches at the end of this first century. And these churches were dealing with some issues in particular, people coming and saying things to them that maybe weren't quite so true. There were debates about whether Jesus was really who he said he was, whether Jesus was really God, or whether he was really just a man, or maybe he was God but not quite a man. But the message of John is clear that when you see Jesus, you see God because they're one and the same. But that doesn't mean that Jesus isn't also fully human. He's someone who they saw and heard and touched with their own hands, it says in this introduction. You know, interestingly, the issue of, is Jesus who he really says he is? These issues never have actually gone away. They've always been up for debate. It's always been one of the, the things, the sort of loose ends that people try and pull at to try and see if they can undo this Christianity thing. Because if Jesus isn't who he says he was, then... What are we all doing here, in all honesty? You know, so from um, 
the letters of John through to the Council of Nicaea that you may have heard of. It's where we get the Nicene Creed that Christians all over the world recite on a regular basis. Even through to the 21st century, there's historians writing books to say that, nah, Jesus wasn't really God. That idea got tacked on later. But John's here to tell us Jesus and God, they're the same. They're of the same nature. And the letter of 1 John, it kind of reads a bit more like a sermon than a classic letter. Um, and it kind of like spirals around a bunch of the same themes time and time again. So it's quite good for the summer if you're going to miss a week because we're going to repeat ourselves quite a lot. We're going to be talking about words like love and light and fellowship, depending on which translation of the Bible we use. Fellowship is a word that's going to come up. That instantly makes me think of Lord of the Rings. But fellowship, we're going to be talking about fellowship a lot. And so you're going to hear a lot of the same things over the next few weeks. But we're going to take it kind of one chapter at the time. Kind of some of the paragraph breaks are a little bit fuzzy around whether or not they end nice and neatly at the end of a particular chapter. So if that offends you, then I'm sorry, but you have to get over it. Um, and for me, as I read the book of 1 John, the message of this book, for me, comes down to this. How do we have fellowship together? How do we get on together as we live in God's love and walk in his light? And this book contains these two massive but very short statements. One that says God is love and the other one that says God is light. And those are two key themes we need to keep in the back of our head when we begin to think about what God is like, what John's talking about. That God is love and God is light. So let's jump in. Um, let's read um, this introductory first four verses. In this translation I'm reading from the uh, Christian Standard Bible um, it's entitled Prologue, Our Declaration. And Prologue seems like a good place to start to me. Um, so 1 John 1, verse 1, lots of ones in there. Um, what we have heard from the beginning, uh, what was from the beginning, sorry. What we have heard, what we have seen with our eyes, what we have observed and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life. That life was revealed and we have seen it. And we testify and declare to you the eternal life that was with the Father and was revealed to us. What we have seen and heard, we also declare to you, so that you may also have fellowship with us, and indeed our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. We are writing these things to you, so our joy may be complete. There's lots of parallels here, lots of echoes of the first chapter of the Gospel of John, if you're familiar to that, with that. And just wait till the next Advent or carol service, you'll hear it. Um, but there's lots of language like about these real experiences, with, real experiences with Jesus. We've heard, we've seen with our eyes, we've observed, we've touched with our hands. Kind of really echoing the authority of the writer. They're saying, you can trust me because I've seen this Jesus. I've touched him with my own hands. I've seen him with my own eyes. So you can trust what I've got to say. And John tells us why he's writing this letter. So that we'll have fellowship with God and with them. And that's something that is going to produce joy. But there's some stuff we have to do to get to that place of fellowship. 
and of joy. And we'll read about that in verse 5. So it says, This is the message we have heard from him and declare to you. God is light, and there is absolutely no darkness in him. Um, we want to be stepping into the light today. Let's carry on. If we say we have fellowship with him, and yet we walk in darkness, we're lying and we're not practicing the truth. If we walk in the light as he himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we're deceiving ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. My little children, I'm writing you these things that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He himself is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, and not only for ours, but also for those of the whole world. So verse five, this is the message we've heard from him and declare to you. God is light and there's absolutely no darkness in him. Now today, I'm going to invite us to step into that light that is God. To step into the light by the invitation to confess. To do some confession to God and with one another. And that sounds a bit scary, especially the one another bit, right? But we'll get there in a minute. But this statement, God is light, this is a huge statement. It's an absolute statement. And there's no gray area here. God is light. He's good. He's righteous. He's holy. And there's no darkness in him whatsoever. And that's something we have to hold on to when we think about God. Especially when we're going to be talking about sin and um, what does it mean to be made right with God. We have to hold on to this idea that God is light. You know, A.W. Tozer says um, that what comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. And I like this bit, just because it's got some fun words in it. The most portentous fact about any man is not what he at a given time may say or do, but what he in his deep heart conceives God to be like. Because that is what is going to shape how you understand God's intention towards you. That is going to shape how you interact with God. If you're coming from a place of God seems good, but maybe he's like just still really angry at me. God seems all right, but I've got these questions. Some stuff doesn't feel right. If we start with the absolute statement that God is light, and when we get to it, that God is love, we can come to him with confidence, knowing his heart and intent towards us is good. For me, this is one of those high points of scripture. One of these navigational lights that I use to find my way around the rest of the Bible. If one of the witnesses to Jesus, people who saw and heard and observed and touched him, tells me that God is light and there's no darkness in him, then I'm going to choose to believe that God is light and there is no darkness in him. But if God's light, then what's this darkness stuff? I think from the context here, John's talking about sin 
So if God is light, sin is darkness. And the word that um, the New Testament uses to talk about sin is a Greek word called harmatia. And some of the times when people stand up here with a microphone and they tell you what a Greek word means, it's because the Bible's written in a different language. It's written in Greek in um, mostly at the end of, the New Testament is mostly written in the end of the first century. And the beautiful thing about language is that you can't just swap words out of one language and put them into another, can you? Like, so the reason we talk about, hey, this word in the Greek or that word in Hebrew, if we're talking about the Old Testament, means this and it means that. It's because words don't have a sort of one-to-one pure equivalent from language to language. So when we look at these words in Greek, it's trying to help us understand because what they mean might just be subtly different to what their closest English equivalent means. But this word sin, harmatia in Greek, it means missing the mark. It means falling short of what it means to be truly human. Because when God made people, he made us to be the image of him in creation. To be God's image on earth. Because if God is light, well then we're called to be light too. We're called to be the light of the world, to be that city on a hill. In any way that we fail to live up to that standard, we fail to be the standard that Jesus set for us. Because one of the names Jesus used about himself was the son of man. You're like, cool man, he was the son of a man. What does that mean? What he was saying was he was the really human person. He was the one that summed up what it meant to be a human being. The one that shows us the standard of what it takes, but what's available to be a human. So whenever we don't live up to that standard of what Jesus is like, we're falling short. We're sinning. You know, in Romans 3, 23, says it's something that affects all of us, that all have sinned. We've fallen short of the glory of God. And if we've got this then big definitive statement that God is light, And there's no darkness in him. Well, John follows it up with five very conditional statements. Five big ifs. I spent a bit of time looking at some spreadsheets this week. And trying to remember how to use the if function on a spreadsheet. And every time I have to Google it. But I think I understand these statements here. They're a bit more straightforward to me than using Google Sheets or Excel. Verse 6, if we say we have fellowship with him and yet walk in darkness, we're lying and we're not practicing the truth. If we walk in the light as he himself is in the light. Is anyone thinking of a DC Talk song right there? Anyone remember the 90s? Um, If we walk in the light as he himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, We're deceiving ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. Now verses 6, 8 and 10, they'll pretty much say the same thing, don't they? At least they do to me. And I did warn you about repetition coming up. 
um, in 1 John. But you probably didn't expect it, sort of 10, 15 minutes in, did you? But there's a lot of repetition here. If we say we've got fellowship with him, but walk in darkness, we're lying. If we say we've not got no sin, we're deceiving ourselves. The truth isn't in us. If we say we've not sinned, we make him a liar and his word isn't in us. If we claim to not have sin, we're lying. Because all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, like Romans tells us. And that's because light and darkness can't coexist. The room's dark, you turn the light on, the darkness is gone. There's not a battle between light and dark. If there's light, it's light. They're absolute opposites. And the only way, the only way that light and dark get to coexist inside of us is through dishonesty, it's through denial or dissociation. And the more we live in a place of dishonesty and denial, the more that hurt and the pain just happens to get worse for us because it remains undealt with. But John wants us to have fellowship with God and one another. And the only way, the only way we can do that is by moving from darkness into light. We step out of the darkness into the light. And how do we do this? Well, John invites us to do this by confession. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We get to move from darkness to light by the power of confession. And in a minute, we're going to look at two different types of confession. But I just want to loop back through the rest of this passage and we'll come back to this this confession because it's really important we understand what John says at the start of chapter two here. He says, my little children, I am writing you these things that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He himself is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, not only for ours, but also for those of the whole world. You know, John's goal here is, yeah, that you wouldn't sin, but he's a realist because we will. We will mess up. And that's, but there's good news. That our fellowship and the Father, our fellowship with the Father and one another can be restored by what Jesus has done. And I'd go maybe even a step further than John does here, saying, oh no, if, if someone does sin. I'd suggest that somehow sin is inevitable for us. I'm not being a pessimist, but I'm, I feel like modern life is so caught up in these systems of sin and injustice that somehow we can't even escape it. You know, a bunch of the sacrifices in the Old Testament that God commanded the Israelites to do that would cleanse them weren't because they were actively sinning it's just because being in the world they got dirty through the muck of the world and that wasn't something they could bring into the presence of God so they had to get clean not because necessarily they themselves were choosing sins they were making horrible choices I mean they made some horrible choices but even if they weren't making those choices 
being in the world and in the grime and in the dirt of everyday life, stuff happens that sticks to us and we need to be cleansed of it. And I think modern life is so complex, it's so complicated, that it's almost impossible to completely extricate ourselves from the sin and the systems of injustice in the world. I don't know if you've ever watched um, that Netflix show, The Good Place. Anyone watched The Good Place? Anyone intending to watch The Good Place? Because I will spoil it for you. Okay, so The Good Place is set up, this whole thing. It's an interesting secular meditation on things like um, good works and do good works get us to heaven or do they condemn us to hell? Okay, so in the good place, effectively, if you live your life in the right way, you know, and the balance of good versus bad is, is in, you're in the plus column, you get to go to the good place. If your balance is in the negative, you go to the bad place. Um, and, and later on, in, I think it's like in season three, they find out that no one has made it to the good place for several hundred years. And the kind of, the big reveal at the end of season three is that no one can get into the good place because life is so messy is so interwoven with injustice that every time you buy a pair of socks from Primark, someone on the other side of the world is getting ripped off. Every time you buy vegetables from a supermarket, the planet's not being cared for. I don't say all this to make you feel guilty about any of those things, but I'm just saying we need to recognize that we are, by active choice or otherwise, complicit in some stuff that is breaking the world um, and isn't what God intended for us. And so, if the, uh, the secular writers of The Good Place can recognize that the world is a complicated and messed up place that makes it very, very hard to live a righteous life, well, I think one John got here first. You know, John describes Jesus as the atoning sacrifice for our sins and not just for us but for the whole world and that word atonement is probably a word you only ever really hear in church right but at its root it means an act that brings two parties that were separate back together it's like an at one mint things that were two are brought back together to be one and the new testament uses a whole bunch of different words to describe what happens on the cross atonement's one of them It's called redemption, it's called ransom, it's called reconciling, it's called a purchase, it's called justification, it's called a rescue. And all of these add up to be this beautiful picture of what Jesus achieved when he died in our place and then rose again, victorious. But Jesus is described as our advocate here. He's the one saying to the Father, you can forgive them because I've paid the price. These people can be forgiven because you can take what I've done and put it on them. And I think it's important that when we think about things like atonement, we read it in this context of 1 John, that God is light and God is love. And that is our context for understanding these concepts. That's the navigational point, that God is light. And let that shape how we think about what Jesus did on the cross. But there are two types of confession, I think. There's confession to God that we can be forgiven. 
And there's confession to one another that we might be healed. We're going to jump into James 5 in a minute for that. But confession, what is confession ultimately? Confession is simply the acknowledgement of our sins. It's the first step to repentance. And then from repentance, we can receive forgiveness and move towards reconciliation. You know, it's rarely separate from repentance. But it's just when we take ownership of what we've done, of what we said, of what we've thought that's out of alignment with the true reality of who we're invited to be. So confession to God. Chapter 1, verse 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. You know, when you, um, when you watch a, a kind of a TV show that's got some, it's like a, a police show, um, I'm a big fan of Brooklyn Nine-Nine, which I know is not strictly about how the police operate. It's got some other things going on. But right, when, and it, you know, I've never actually solved a crime because I'm not a policeman. But to my understanding, three things that police look for when they're trying to figure out if someone committed this crime. They're the means, the motive, and the opportunity, right? Could they do it? They got a reason to do it, and did they have a chance to do it? I think when it comes to forgiveness, God has the means to forgive us because Jesus has made it possible. God has the motive to forgive us because he wants to be in fellowship, in relationship with us. But we need to give him the opportunity by opening up ourselves to him with confession. And the great thing about confessing to God is that he knows what you did anyway. He knows it better than you. He knows your thoughts. He knows what you said. He's already seen it happen and he's not shocked and he loves you anyway. But he wants you out of denial. He wants your heart and your mind and your soul reintegrated, brought back into alignment. Because that's where the pain comes from, from some of us. Because we're sat on this stuff, sometimes for years, not even really admitting it to ourselves, so it gets pushed down and it eats away at us inside. But God says, I saw it and I loved you anyway, and let's deal with that. Scripture's got a few things to say about this. Proverbs 28, verse 13 says, The one who conceals his sins will not prosper but whoever confesses and renounces them will find mercy. And then in Psalm 32, David says, he, he says a bunch of things, and then he says in verse five, I think, um, oh no, verse three, when I kept silent, my bones became brittle for my groaning all day long. For day and night, your hand was heavy on me. My strength was drained as in the summer's heat. Felt that this week, right? Then I acknowledged my sin to you and did not conceal my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord and you forgave the guilt of my sin. Therefore, let everyone who is faithful pray to you immediately. Like unconfessed sin before God can feel like he uses a bunch of different metaphors here. Like our bones become brittle. Like we keep it in. Like we're groaning day and night. Our strength is drained like it was on Monday night and Tuesday night this week in the heat. But as soon as we said, 
As soon as David said, I'll confess my transgressions, that means my sins, the ways I went wrong to God. You forgave the guilt of my sin. It's David's recommendation that everyone does that immediately. So it's really important that we allow ourselves to come back into alignment, to give to God the stuff that we have messed up in. Um, and different church traditions do this in different ways. Um, but the um, Anglican Church or the Episcopal Church in America have a brilliant, a bunch of brilliant confession prayers. And this is one that I use actually um, in my prayer time um, most days. It says this, Most merciful God, we, have confe- we confess that we have sinned against you in thought, word and deed, but what we have done and what we have left undone. We've not loved you with our whole heart. We've not loved our neighbour as ourselves. We're truly sorry and we humbly repent for the sake of your son, Jesus Christ. Have mercy on us and forgive us that we may delight in your will and walk in your ways to the glory of your name. Amen. Like you can use that prayer as a springboard to allow yourself to confess to God the stuff that you know that you've messed up in. Because we know that he wants to forgive you. He has every capacity to forgive you and make you whole again. And when we confess to God, when we repent to him, we become reconciled back to him. But there's real power in confessing to one another. And this looks a little bit different. We're not necessarily doing exactly the same thing. But when we bring something into the light with a friend, with a family member, with someone that we trust, we're bringing something into the light so that someone else can stand alongside us. That we can have that fellowship that John talks about. You know, sometimes it's only when we bring something into light that we can deal with it and be healed of it. It's something that's hidden away from not even really admitting it to ourselves. Then how can we ever expect to get healed from it? You know, and the more that we feel we need to hide something, the more that behavior happens in the dark or when no one else is around, the more helpful it's going to be for us to confess it, to bring it into the light. So James 5.16 says, Therefore confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is very powerful in its effect. And James isn't saying, hey, anytime you're sick, that's because you've got unconfessed sin. That's not what he's saying. He's talking about the healing of you as a whole person. And you know what? Most of the time, God really likes working through other people. Because that's what he's created us to do. He really likes it when we get alongside each other. When we share some of the stuff that feels uncomfortable. You know, that's not to say that we have to share all of our deepest, darkest secrets with everyone. We're not going to have a group confession session at the end of this time together. Not everyone needs to know what's going on with you. But you need to find people who you can trust Friends, family, trusted leaders who you can share your vulnerability with. Who you can trust with your vulnerability. And confessing to one another is hard, it's scary, it's vulnerable. But like any muscle, 
So we begin to train it. We learn to use it. The easier it becomes. And I think often the sorts of things that we need to confess to one another it's probably not those fleeting thoughts that run through our head. But it's those repeated patterns we end up seeing in ourselves. The sorts of things we've maybe tried to manage with ourselves, but we've not seen any change. The t- things that we might have prayed to God about but never spoken another word to anyone else, but still we find ourselves in the same situation. That's when we need someone else to stand alongside us. You know, in some of those regular patterns of sin and dysfunction, they just need someone to pray with us. Sometimes over an extended period of time. And someone to keep us accountable. Um, and we need someone to speak that forgiveness and affirmation over us. If we're falling short of who we're created to be, sometimes we need someone to remind us of who we are created to be. If sin is missing the mark of being who we truly are as God's image bearers in the world, then we need someone to remind us that's who we are. There's a few times in my life where I've massively felt the benefit of confessing stuff. Most recent time was, um, it's actually only a few months ago, we were in our small group, shout out small groups, back in September, um, in our small group, and I was sat with my friend Chris over here, and I, I knew that there was some stuff, some behaviour habits that I was embracing. I was just like eating stuff when no one was around, and I knew that if I didn't tell some other human being that I was going to keep doing it. And so I talked to Chris about it, and Chris prayed for me, and it felt vulnerable and scary, and then it felt amazing, because I wasn't alone, and I've just told all of you. And the funny thing is, the people that really know you, some of them know this stuff anyway. Like the Lord sees and knows, and he's just waiting for you to come into the light because he wants to forgive you. Some of the people close to you know this stuff anyway. And what they want is to see you recognize it for yourself. You can stand in the light together, stand alongside one another, pray for one another, remind one another who you really are. Ah, and then the next time you see them say how's that going you know these experiences left me feeling like I wasn't alone I didn't have to carry my burden on my own the right people with the right insight will give you some practical help and tools to deal with the situations that we're facing You know, and confession isn't necessarily all the time just like a one and done thing. I'd love to tell you that I've never looked at another donut since that time a few months ago, but I have. It doesn't mean I'll never struggle with that same stuff again, but I've got a friend, I've got an ally. I've got someone to help. So confession is powerful because it restores us to our true identity. It's powerful because we can continue to, to pursue fellowship and community with one another. And it's the start of the process for some of us of repentance, forgiveness and reconciliation. 
So if you today are thinking, man, there's a situation just like buzzing at the back of my brain that I can't possibly tell anyone else about. Or maybe you feel it in the pit of your stomach. I don't know. Like, you're just like, I've got a secret that I need to keep hidden. No one can know. Today's not the day for you to come down and share it on a microphone, but you need to find someone else in your life who you can share that with. It could be a friend. It could be a family member. It could be someone you live with. It could be one of the guys in this church that, that I trust, that I'd happily recommend to you. But if you're burning with something inside that you need to tell someone else, you need to get it off your chest, you need to get it into the light so you can begin to deal with it, then don't just forget about it. Choose to find someone to go and talk to about it. And then make confession part of your rhythm with the Lord. In your quiet times, make space to open up your heart to him, to be washed clean by his love. That you can walk in the light, like he's in the light. That you can have fellowship with him and with one another. So as we close out, why don't we stand together and I'd love to, for us to pray that confession prayer again together. As we all confess together that we could have probably just put our hand on our seat and let it go up gently, but instead we stood up too fast and it clacked all over the place. That's all right, I can, I've got room for that. I'll forgive you. Um, and just as we pray this prayer, have in, your, have in your mind, have in your heart, if there's something you know you need to confess to the Lord, it doesn't have to be a big thing. It could just be a little thing. Or maybe you're like, man, I've been, I've been pretty good, to be honest. You can repent of some pride. Um, <laughs> no, but just allow the Holy Spirit to convict you if there's anything you know David says in Psalms hey search me and know me see if there's any wicked way in me just allow the scrutiny of the Holy Spirit the very kind and loving scrutiny of the Holy Spirit to examine your heart so let's say this together most merciful God we confess oh there we go oh there we go Dan's just one step behind me that's all right you can confess that to me later. Most merciful God, we confess we have sinned against you in thought, word, and deed by what we have done and by what we have left undone. We've not loved you with our whole heart. We've not loved our neighbor as ourselves. We're truly sorry and we humbly repent. For the sake of your son, Jesus Christ, have mercy on us and forgive us that we may delight in your will and walk in your ways to the glory of your name. Amen. Just stay standing, I'm going to pray for you. Father, we want to be people that keep short accounts with you and with one another. We want to be people that are washed clean, that live in the light, so that we have fellowship with you. We have community with one another. So whatever practical step we need to take today, to go and find someone to confess to, to find strength in, to find acceptance from. Lord, would you give us the strength to do it?
I pray for everyone in this room that has got something burning inside of them that they need to tell someone. They feel ashamed. They feel embarrassed. But they would step through that vulnerability into the love and acceptance that you have for them. Because Jesus, you have made redemption and reconciliation possible. But what you did on the cross, when you broke the power of death, you broke the power of shame, you broke the power of sin, and you restored us to yourself. Amen. Amen. I hope you enjoyed today's message. If you want to find out more, head to our website, findlife.co.uk, or follow us on Instagram. God bless, and see you soon.